0: This evening, the first Bible reading is from the book of Luke, chapter 19, verse 1 to 10. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and he was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Secures, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, This man, too, is the son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost.
1: And we're going to carry on reading uh, verses 11 to 27 in Luke 19. While they were listening to this, he went on to tell them a parable because he was near Jerusalem, and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. He said, A man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed king and then to return. So he called ten of his servants and gave them ten manas. Put this money to work, he said, until I come back. But his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, "'We don't want this man to be our king.' He was made king, however, and returned home. Then he sent for the servants to whom he had given the money in order to find out what they had gained with it. The first one came and said, "'Sir, your manar has earned ten more.' "'Well done, my good servant,' his master replied." Because you have been trustworthy in a very small matter, take charge of ten cities. The second came and said, Sir, your manah has earned five more. His master answered, You take charge of five cities. Then another servant came and said, Sir, here is your manah. I've kept it laid away in a piece of cloth. I was afraid of you because you are a hard man. You take out what you did not put in and reap what you did not sow. His master replied, I will judge you by your own words, you wicked servant. You knew, did you, that I am a hard man, taking out what I did not put in and reaping what I did not sow?" Why then didn't you put my money on deposit so that when I came back, I could have collected it with interest? Then he said to those standing by, Take his manar away from him and give it to the one who has ten manas. Sir, they said, he already has ten. He replied, I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. But as for the one who has nothing, even what they have will be taken away. But those enemies of mine who did not want me to be king over them, bring them here and kill them in front of me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, pretty God.
2: Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Queenie. It's good to be here tonight. My name is Paul, if I haven't met you. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, It's been a real privilege to to partner with Stan and Claire for the last uh, six years, and so thankful for your ministry over the Middle East. Uh, We're in one of those weeks where we've just finished the book of James, and we're about to start the book of Nehemiah next week, and so tonight's uh, just a one-off sermon, a, a topical sermon, and I've decided to talk on the topic of generosity um, when I think of generosity, I, I think of a man called Ronald Wilcox, and you've probably never heard of him. Uh, he's a UK businessman. He was a UK businessman, a a, a banker who earned lots of money. Uh, he was a dedicated Christian man. He he never preached a sermon. Uh, he never led a church service. Uh, he was one of those behind the scenes kind of church people who just. God on faithfully serving his saviour at his funeral a few years ago uh, these words were uttered on the screen Ronald Wilcox could have died a very wealthy man let's think about those words he could have died a wealthy man but he chose not to he chose not to and I and God's church and the kingdom of God are so glad that he chose not to die a filthy rich man. See, Ronald loves Jesus and his love for Jesus led him to be incredibly generous, incredibly generous with what God gave him. I'll share just a couple of stories. In 1980, he was walking through the east end of London in a place called Bethnal Green. If you know London, it's a pretty rough area Deprived area. Walking down the street, he, he spotted a, a building for sale. And as you do when you're filthy rich, he thought, I, I could buy that building. <laughs> Not for himself. In his mind, the Lord led in his heart that he could turn that building into a, a drop in centre for youth off the streets for the deprived youth of Bethnal Green. And so he did. He never benefited from it, from it personally. But thousands and thousands of young people came off the streets and they heard the gospel. And that building is now a thriving church in Bethnal Green and many, many people have come to Christ through that. In the mid-1990s, the Lord gave him a passion for preaching. He himself wasn't a preacher, but he longed to see others trained and equipped for preaching. And so he bought another building, as you do, And that building is the house of the Cornhill training course in London, where I trained and thousands of other people trained as preachers. And again, he didn't receive any of the benefits, but his gospel generosity, his gospel heart, led him to fund those ministers. And I could do countless other stories of other buildings around the UK that he has bought personally with his own money so the gospel could be preached and people could hear about Jesus. But again, he could have died a very wealthy man. He didn't. He, he drove a normal car, lived in a normal house, went on normal holidays because he loved Jesus. When I think of generosity, I, I think of another man who I've known personally for many, many years. Again, he is filthy rich. He funds a whole load of gospel messages. But I don't want to talk about his financial generosity because, to be honest, for him, writing a cheque is an easy thing. Uh, this man is a CEO of a multinational company. He is time poor. But he's so generous with his time. Uh, he's so committed to Christianity Explored. He longs to see people come to faith in christ so every november he sits down with his ea he says block out these 20 monday nights for the next year because those 20 nights i'm teaching christianity explored no business trips no nights away those nights i'm teaching people about jesus isn't that amazing he's so committed to uh Christian entrepreneurs that once a month on a Saturday, he has a clinic where he gathers all these Christian business people. And the aim of those mornings is to help them hold on to Christ as they enter the business world. This man is so time poor, but he controls his diary and makes choices to say, I want to be gospel generous with the time God has given me. When I think of generosity, I think of people in front of me tonight who are so generous with your gifts and your talents and your time. Uh, The musicians who serve so tirelessly so that we can sing praises to God, the, the kids' church leaders who give their time and their talents to, to teach our young ones about Jesus, people like Roz and Brian who are doing everyday English and committed to our mission things, and Kylie with all your, your, your tireless service, and the people at the sound desk are doing Pro Presenter, and the people who stack chairs, and the people who cook meals, and the people who are using your time and using your talents not for yourself. But to serve your saviour, and to serve your kingdom, I want to say thank you so much. Thank you for the way that you serve so tirelessly, you are so generous. And this church could not do half the things that we do if it wasn't for you and for your generosity. So tonight we are talking about generosity, not just financial generosity, but being generous with your money, with your time, with your talents, with whatever God has given you in terms of possessions or property. And As I was preparing this sermon, I thought I could tell you story upon story of you know, the, the famous Christians who were generous. I could talk about Selena, Countess of Huntington and her lavish dinner parties. I could talk about the William Careys and the, the Jim Elliots of this world who were tireless in serving their saviour. But those stories don't quite connect. They're the super Christians, aren't they? More challenging is ordinary people who show extraordinary generosity, ordinary people who are juggling busy lives, work, Marriage, home, leisure life, friendships, church, but all these people who are being generous with what God has given them. Let me start by asking you personally how are you going with your generosity? Are you a generous person? In 20 years of ministry, I don't think anyone has ever come to me and said, Paul, I'm really struggling with my generosity. People talked about lack of forgiveness or lying or or lust, but no one's ever said, Paul, I'm just not being generous enough. I'm spending too much time on myself and not enough time on other people. It's like Christian generosity has dropped off our radar. So let's talk about it. Not not in the details of how much to give or how much time is okay. That's just legalism. Let's look at some motivations, two motivations of why we should be generous. Here's the first one. It's one word. It's the word grace. Our our gospel generosity must flow from that personal encounter with Jesus. When you've met Jesus, when you've been gripped by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, it's like there's a radical change of your heart. Generosity cannot be commanded. It just flows from grace. That's why I love Zacchaeus, who we just read about in Luke 19. Just grab your Bibles, turn to Luke 19. It's a great story of a man who meets Jesus and is radically transformed. Uh, Jesus enters Jericho and was passing through, it says. And verse two, a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. We know two things about him. We know he's a, a chief tax collector. So he'd earned his money by robbing the poor. Uh, he, li- he, he lived a lavish lifestyle because he was greedy for more money and he treated people harshly. So the chief tax collector, he is very wealthy. He is monetary rich. And he, he wants to see who Jesus is. He's kind of intrigued by this man who's walking on earth and teaching and preaching and healing. Actually, we learn another thing about him in verse 3. He's very short. He's got a height problem, he can't see over the crowd. He's creative, verse 4, so he runs ahead, he he climbs a a sycamore fig tree, just so you know, that's a a short, squatty oak tree with sprawling branches. So he he climbs a tree, no dignity there, and he perches there with a bird's eye view. Now verse 5, when when Jesus reached the spot, this is interesting. Zacchaeus is intrigued by Jesus, but it's Jesus who called Zacchaeus it's Jesus who stops and looks up and it's Jesus who speaks to Zacchaeus he says Zacchaeus now we don't know how he knows his name but he says Zacchaeus come down immediately it's Jesus who's inviting Zacchaeus to come down and it's Jesus who invites himself into Zacchaeus's life I must stay at your house today says Jesus and when Jesus calls, no one can refuse that. When Jesus calls Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus follows. He comes down and he welcomes Jesus gladly. It's a beautiful picture of conversion. Zacchaeus is intrigued. Jesus calls him by name. Jesus invites himself into his life as Zacchaeus follows. Because Jesus says, verse 10, the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost, and Zacchaeus is lost, and Jesus finds him. But here's the thing. When you've been found by Jesus, when you've met Jesus, your life can never be the same again. If you've truly met Jesus, your life can never be the same again. See the change of heart in Zacchaeus in verse 8? As Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. That's what grace does to you. Grace changes you from being a hoarder to a generous giver. From somebody who's seeking more and more stuff for yourself who, to somebody who longs to give to other people. And this is radical generosity. The Bible says that as a believer in Christ, we we should tithe 10%, it says. But we're not legalists. Zacchaeus gives 50%. The Bible says that if you cheated out of anything, you're to repay them 20%. But Zacchaeus repays them four times the amount. It's over and above generosity. Now, why does Zacchaeus do that? He's not trying to earn his salvation. It's just a sign that grace is at work in him. He is a saved man. He is a changed man. And because of that, he longs to give. He wants to give. That's what grace does to you, you know. If you've really met Jesus and gripped by grace, your language changes. It's not how much... Must I give? But how much can I give? It's not what ministers must I serve in, like a duty. It's a delight of what ministers do I get to serve in. And you can always spot the, the people who have really been gripped by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ because their heart is different. They want to serve, they want to give not that they have to do it. I think Zacchaeus is a beautiful, beautiful model of a grace-transformed man. There's another model in the Bible of how grace leads to generosity. It's a little church that you may never heard of. It's only mentioned a couple of times. In the book of Corinthians it's mentioned. It's a Macedonian church. And This Macedonian church, they are financially poor, And they are deprived, and they're doing it tough, and they are suffering. And the Apostle Paul holds his little church up as this model of generosity. When he's writing to the Corinthians, the the Corinthians are rich, they are wealthy. The, The Christians, they are living in large houses with lavish lifestyles, and they're wanting for little, but they are incredibly stingy. And Paul says, look at the Macedonians, they're the model for you of how grace transforms your giving. Let's read a couple of verses from 2 Corinthians chapter 8. He says, Now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace, there's the word about the, the undeserved favor that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Isn't that amazing? They have little, but they want to give. More than that, verse 3, I testify they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, above and beyond what they were able to give. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for this privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. They're a beautiful example. They have little, but they want to give because they've met Jesus. I, I worked in a orphanage in in Thailand for a while. And when I was there, the, the people in that community had nothing, literally nothing. But when I think about generosity, they come to mind because out of their little, they gave much. Hardly a day went by without somebody knocking on my door with a plate of food or some time to sit and listen to pray. And as I got to know them, their love for the Lord Jesus, their appreciation of grace just overflowed from them. The thing about the Macedonians is that the Bible says they gave themselves first to the Lord. And that is really important. Let me say very clearly, God does not want your money if he hasn't got your heart. And God does not want your time if he hasn't got your heart. And God does not want your talents if he hasn't got your heart. Please don't think by giving more, by serving more by giving more of your time you're earning your salvation, that's not true but if he's got your heart if you so love Jesus Christ, it just naturally flows from you there's a man called uh, C.T. Stud uh, who was a missionary to China he was also one of England's top all round cricketers, which he's probably not saying very much but he was wealthy, he was educated, he was, went to Eton, went to Cambridge, and he met Jesus. And he wrote this, I'd known all about Jesus Christ dying for me. I'd known about it. But I'd never understood that if Jesus died for me, that I didn't belong to myself anymore. Redemption means buying back. So if I belong to Jesus now, everything I have belongs to him now. And so either I have to be a thief and keep that which was not mine, or else I had to give back to Jesus and serve him with everything I had. It's a beautiful picture, isn't it? If you've been gripped by Jesus, you belong to Jesus, everything you have belongs to him, and so all you're doing is giving back to him what's already his. I think it's one extraordinary sign of a genuine conversion that you just long to be generous with everything God has given you. I was chatting to a pastor friend who's pastor of a church in the western suburbs, tiny church, 40 people, and they do so much ministry. I said, How do you how do you resource all this? He said, People just keep on volunteering. You know, on a Sunday, they want they want to be here the whole day. There's no coercion, they just want to do it. And I asked him about their budget. And I worked out that per head, that little church gives about twice as much per head in financial figures to what we give per head here at Church by the Bridge. And I live in a suburb which is, I don't know, 10 times poorer than our suburb here. And he talks about the love for Jesus and it's overflowing. So please remember grace, that's the best motivation. For Christian generosity. The second motivation is this eternity. Our generosity flows from your perspective on the future. When you know your future, when you're living for the future, it changes your attitude to the now. And I find it fascinating that straight after the Zacchaeus story, uh, Jesus tells this parable of these ten miners. While they were listening, verse 11, and they is, it's not the crowd, it's not the Pharisees, it's the disciples. He's talking to his own people. And he tells them a parable because the people thought the kingdom of God was going to appear soon. So he's talking about Jesus coming. He says that there's a man of noble birth who went to a distant country and you don't need a PhD in theology to work out that's Jesus. He to have himself appointed as king because Jesus is king and then to return in all his glory. But then he calls 10 of his servants, 10 of his disciples, 10 of his followers if you want and he gives each of his followers a minor each which is about three months wages if you look at your footnote. So a large sum of money and here's the challenge King Jesus says to us, put this money to work until I come back. That's the key. We know he's coming again, don't we? We've just celebrated Easter. We've just celebrated that the the tomb is empty. Jesus ascended into glory and one day he will return. And here we are in Kiribati in 2019 and we're waiting for the king to come back. And he's given everybody here gifts talents, money, and the question is, how are we going to use what God has given us as we wait for the return of our king? Do you ever think about that? Do you ever think about how you're using what God has given you today in light of eternity? I hope you don't see life as being on this treadmill. And for those who know me know that I hate treadmills. What a waste of time to stand in the gym on the treadmill when you could be outside in the glorious Sydney summer. But for many people, that's their life. They get up, they go to work, they come home, they eat, they watch telly, they go to bed, they get up, they go to work, they come home, they eat, they watch telly, they go to bed, day after day after day. But if you're a Christian, if you know and love Jesus, that's not your life, is it? You're on a travelator You're heading somewhere, you're heading towards glory and every day you're one step closer to glory. And if you live with that mindset that this world is not all there is, Jesus Christ is coming back and one day I'm going to stand before my king and see him face to face. And the question he's going to ask us is there in verse 15. He sent for the servants to whom he'd given the money, given the talents, given the gifts in order to find out what they had gained with it. What have they done with what God had given them? Do you ever think about that? Standing before your king on a last day and him asking, you know, what did you do with all that things I'd given you, all the stuff I'd given you, all the gifts I'd given you, all the talents I'd given you, all the time I'd given you, all the cash I'd given you? How did you use it? It's a scary question, isn't it? What are we doing Day by day, with all that God has given us. You've got to ask yourself that question Are you working hard for or for Jesus? Are you investing in an uncertain stock market or in a certain Savior? Are you being generous in light of eternity? In this parable there, Jesus highlights three groups of people, three types of people. And I do think if Jesus was here tonight, he'd see all three people in front of him. I hope you're not in the first group. The first group are the people who reject Jesus outright. They're There in verse 14, his subjects, that's interesting because everybody, every man, every woman, every child is a subject of Christ, whether they recognise it or not. But some people hate Jesus and they say, we don't want this man to be our king. And lots of people live in our world like that, rejecting the kingship of Jesus, putting himself as king of their own lives. But on that last day, when they stand before him, verse 27, he will say, bring them here and kill them in front of me. That is harsh, isn't it? Please don't be that type of person. I think scarily the the second group is is even more of a concern. There are the people in verses 20 to 26 who claim to belong to the master. They're given a talent, but they do nothing with it. Do you spot that in verse 20? Another servant came and said, Sir, here's your gift, here's your minor, here's your talent, here's your money. I've kept it. I've done nothing with it. I hid it away in a piece of cloth. I was afraid of you because you're a hard man. They have such a wrong understanding of Christ. They see him as harsh, a taskmaster. They don't see Jesus being gracious and loving and compassionate and kind. And they do nothing with what he's given them. They hide it away and do nothing with it. And the scary thing is there's lots of people in church like that. Lots of knowledge, lots of talents, lots of money, but they do nothing with it. Can you imagine standing before God on the last day and you saying to God, here's my gift of administration. I never used it. I was too busy. Oh, here's my gift of teaching. I never put into practice because, you know, I... I wouldn't get the accolade and applaud that I really wanted. It didn't fit into my schedule. Oh, here's my monetary gift. It's all in that property over there, all in that bricks and mortar with the the most recent renovation with the pool. There it is, all over there. It's a horrible thing, isn't it? All the stuff that God's given us, and we did nothing with it for the kingdom, nothing with it for eternity. And Jesus says, you fool. And we're not really sure whether this person is a believer or not. But there's no fruit, there's no fruit of generosity in this person's life. I was thinking this week, why aren't people generous? Why do people struggle to be generous with what God has given them? Yes, we're busy. Yes, we're tired. We'll have different lives, different seasons of life. And I'm not trying to guilt anybody. But I think one of the biggest reasons is that deep down here in Sydney, there is a very, very self-centred culture. I will serve if it benefits me. I will give if I'm the beneficiary of this. If it pleases me and suits me, I will do it. And that's not gospel generosity. Gospel generosity is being other person centered. Thought about these bricks and this mortar. Put your hand up if you gave financially to the building of this church. None of us did. But we are the beneficiaries of past generosity of past believers. Now many people gave to this refurbishment six, seven years ago. But many of you didn't but you're the beneficiaries of new sound systems and new lightings. That's what being part of a, of a worldwide church family does. It says, it's not about me, not about how it benefits me, but how can I serve God and his kingdom and other believers? And if you live with this other person mindset, what can I do to help others serve others and serve my saviour? You stop being so self-absorbed and self-centred. There are huge serving these in our churches from kids' ministries to sound, and you might not benefit from it personally, but others will. And then you get to be the third type of person, the one to whom the Lord Jesus says, well done, my good servant. See that in verse 17. The first one came and said, sir, your mind has earned 10 more. I put it to work, I've invested, I've served others, it's grown. There's been a harvest. Well done, my good servant. Because you've been trustworthy in a small matter, take charge of ten cities. And the second came and said, sir, your miners earned five more. It doesn't matter whether it's tenfold or fivefold. The point is that you've used what God has given you for good. And his master answered, you take charge of five cities. And I don't think Jesus is talking about literal cities here. I think he's talking about how you'll see people in glory, people around the throne on that last day, who have come to Christ, who have been built up in Christ through your generosity. The people that you sacrifice time with to read the Bible and they're standing around that throne. The people, the kids that you serve, Kids' church who came to Christ because of your time and your service, the, the people who uh, came to faith for you serving at Christianity Explored, the, the Christians who heard the gospel in other parts of the world, in the Middle East, because of your financial generosity that equipped these guys to tell them about Jesus. Can you imagine standing around the throne on the last day and seeing thousands and thousands of Christians worshiping Jesus for all eternity because of your generosity? That's what motivates us. Eternity and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know your financial situation or your time situation or your talent situation. All I'm asking is whatever God has given you, make sure you're using it for his glory and for his glory alone. Let me pray. Father, thank you for entrusting us with so much. What a joy and what a privilege it is to serve you as our gracious, loving King. Please build in us extravagant generosity that benefits others and builds your church. We ask that for Jesus' sake.